Want to discover leading strategies, share experiences and connect with fellow consultancy leaders from companies like EY, PwC or Porsche Consulting? Then join us in Munich for the Leaders in Consulting Conference on the 27th of June, a one-day event exclusively for consultancy leaders like you. Places are limited, so head to leadersinconsulting.com to claim your ticket now. That's leadersinconsulting.com. See you there. We joined the Transformation Alliance in 2017, and the thing that really appealed to us about the, the TTA, as it's known, was the fact that we went into, you know, we, we still owned our own business and managed our own P&L. We don't own the other companies in the TTA, but we're able to do our training together. We're able to do our inductions together. We're able to do conferences together and to invest in research together. It's just brilliant. So you create a vibrancy amongst your, your team. So not only do my Q5 colleagues have Q5 friends, they have friends in Milan, friends in Munich. And uh, amongst the, the senior, senior team members, we, we regularly get together sort of three or four times a year and swap anecdotes and stories um, and it's been, a, it's been a brilliant thing. We're, we're, we're all very proud to be part of it. Do you want to grow your business and learn best practices from other leaders in consulting? Then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Leaders in Consulting show. This episode is powered by Sabu, the company that can help you drive thought leadership, hiring and sales for your consultancy via LinkedIn. Check them out on sawoo.io. S-A-W-O-O dot I-O. Today, I'm very happy to have Oli Perel joining us. He's co-founder and managing part of Q5, uh, a UK-based consultancy. Oli, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sammy. It's great to be here. Ah, the pleasure is all ours. Um, tell me about your company, Q5. What are you doing? So we, we set up 14 years ago in 2009, and we... And the reason I, I go back to 14 years ago is if you remember, we were in the pit of the credit crunch at the time. And I was at a stage in my career where I wanted to set a company up, my own consulting firm up with a few other people. And we wanted to focus on what we thought was really important about business, having good organizational health. And so when we started the company, we focused on organization design and organization development, which we consider to be two sides of the same coin. And that first year or so, we were almost entirely focused on media companies in the UK that were struggling with the downturn in the economy and the lack of marketing spend. So, so it was very much focused on the organizational health of media companies at the outset. Yeah. Um, almost like like we are in a, in a stage at the same stage right now. Huh? Um, economy is go, doing bad. It's almost like you 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 could say the same, and it's it's like now. <laughs> it's absolutely you go through cycles, and I, I think in the the lifetime of our business, we started in the credit crunch. We then went through the whole Brexit referendum. Uh, we went through the COVID pandemic. You know, we're just emerging from the COVID pandemic, and this is obviously the aftershock. Uh, the impact on supply chains, a high living costs, inflation, and of course the war uh, in Ukraine. So all these things have an impact on the on the businesses that we work with and we shop from and um, and interact with. Mm -hmm. So are you still right now focusing on organizational design and development, or did you expand or change your focus? Well, so 
the, the key thing when we started was we wanted to be known for something. We wanted to be famous for something. Um, I think back of some of the brands I knew in childhood, like Hoover was very famously about vacuuming. You know, in, in, in English, you Hoover, you, you use the brand name to Hoover your floor. And um, we wanted Q5 to be focused on organizational health because we wanted to differentiate ourselves from the big four consulting firms who were largely in systems integration and large-scale sort of program management projects. Uh, we wanted to differentiate ourselves a little bit from McKinsey and Bain and BCG that were very much seen as strat houses. And we felt that the niche around org design good organizational health, making sure people are engaged and motivated in what they do, um, and that the company has good ways of working that are effective and efficient. We thought that was a good thing to focus on. So we still, I would say that 60 to 70% of our work is still around the organizational health space, um, making sure a company has good org design. And, you know, the triggers for using firms like ours can be a company is doing really, really well. It's a category champion. It's acquired lots of businesses, but it needs to make sure that it continues to be top of its game, you know, and and, uh, and so they require support in making sure that they continually, you know, deliver high performance. And then, there are, of course, organizations that have had problems and have got problems with operational costs being too high, and we work on those to try and remedy them. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's really, it's, it's a... Then a, a nice niche to focus on because you can work on the upside and downside of markets. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we'd like to like to think that what we offer is is recession proof um, because uh, we've we've done well when economic times have been hard, and we've we've succeeded when they've been good too. So, I think the work that we do is is it, it, it sort of mitigates the ebb and flow of uh, economic um, change and and what I like about what you said is that you didn't start the company by saying let's see what kind of business we can basically acquire and just uh, go with the flow but you had a, a focus in mind and you stuck to that focus what was there a time where you were tempted to to change because you had like potentially big projects moving or pulling you into a different direction and what did you do then yeah well, to, to, I'll answer the, the, the question in two ways. The first thing is, yes, from the very outset, there are three words that we were obsessed with, and we still are, uh, and those words are influence uh, and influence uh, contribution and reach. Influence having trust and authority in something so that when we go and meet people uh, at clients or at conferences, People trust and believe that you are the experts in organizational health. So we wanted to build our influence in that space from the outset. And reach, we knew that although we started our company focused largely on media companies, that if we were going to be successful, we'd have to extend our reach into other industry sectors um, and ultimately into other territories. And contribution, we were acutely aware right from the outset um, that we needed to run a profitable business. Uh, and we knew there were five founders, so I, I started the company with four others, that, that we, we had a period of time to make it work. Otherwise, we were going to shrivel on the vine and die. So we, we needed to make the business successful. Um, so we were absolutely um, 
sure that we wanted to focus on organizational health and we're very clear about it. Now, of course, to answer the second part of the question, uh, there were times nine months into Q5 to, you know, 16 months into Q5 where, you know, we were wearing the soles of our shoes out, trying to go around uh, and encourage people to take a punt on a brand that they'd never heard of. We were all pretty experienced. Uh, we, we, we were between 36 and 40 in terms of our age. We'd all got about 15 to 18 years experience. So we knew what we were talking about and we had good individual track records. But obviously, you go to market with a brand that no one's heard of. And, you know, you, you know the famous adage is you don't get um, fired for, for, for hiring McKinsey, although I know a few people who have been. Um, but, you know, it's about building building the brand. Um, and there were times when people said, well, actually, Ollie, I'm not, not hugely interested in doing an all design project at the moment. Or, uh, you know, we're, we're fine in that space. But the biggest problem we've got is we're doing this major transformational change program. And we'd actually like three or four program managers to come and work on that. So saying, saying no to those projects... Um, you know, it was quite hard work at times because you thought it would have been an easier thing to go and, and, and do that. But the, the, the reality is there's so many companies offering that type of work. We really wanted to focus on, on the work we wanted to be the category champion in. So you said no to these kind of projects, many. Well, we did. We did say no to them. I mean, they're, they're, we don't necessarily say no to them today because we've got 250 employees. Um, we did to, We did for the first 18 months to two years because we were so clear about how we wanted to build our brand story and our brand narrative. Um, so, yes, we did. That's interesting. I would have thought it's it's the other way around. When you're small, don't have any revenue, you rather accept different kinds of projects that are maybe not in your niche. But when you're bigger and you have a brand, you, you have the freedom to focus more on what you want to like expand and grow. So why do you say it's like the other way around when you're big or have your size? It's a good question, Sammy. It's a good question. I think in the early days, because it was our, it was five of us, it was our money and our time, we could be much more curious about what we were prepared to do. Um, when you have millions of pounds worth or millions of euros worth of salary cost each month, um, it's not our money that you're playing with now. You're playing with an enterprise. You know, we're a, we're a 55, 60 million turnover business now. So um, fortunately, as I say, 60 to 70 percent of the work that we do is in organizational health. And the other 30 percent, um, that might be in uh, strategy projects and other projects, which which you know, in other areas, which which are, are neatly um, aligned to organisational health. So it, we're not not veering too far off it, but um, it is my my experience over the last 13, 14 years has been that 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 you know, managing five people to managing hundreds of people requires slightly different um, slightly different temperament and slightly different skill sets. So, um, yeah, now that we already started talking about it, what, what is your job right now at your company? So I'm the managing partner of the business, and my job is quite different to what it was when I started. We have eight offices now. Um, we have a couple in the U.S. We've got an office in Houston, got an office in New York. We have three offices in the U.K. Um, we have uh, offices in the Middle East, and we've got two offices 
in Australia, in Melbourne, and in Sydney. And then we have a relationship with something called the Transformation Alliance, which are four other companies in Europe. And so my responsibility is to make sure that the um, well, the, the, our own organizational health is good, uh, to make sure that people are motivated to be part of Q5, to make sure that we're winning work. You know, I still am involved in business development every week. Um, and to make sure that our, our people team are uh, bringing the best development and learning capability into our business to keep people feeling refreshed and developed and bringing the right human beings into the company too through through our uh, our recruiters who are excellent by the way very good and um you you already um, gave us a couple of numbers but can you sum up um and give us a proxy of revenue amount of employees that you have right now and maybe how fast you're growing over the last couple of years so yeah so we're we're around a sort of 55 million sterling turnover business um we have a leadership team of about 20, 22 people across that business. Um, uh, we have eight senior partners uh, and we have um, salary partners and associate partners. And we have directors too who are who look after subject matter areas. Um, and we have grown uh, significantly over the last two to three years. So we were uh, our revenues were 21 million sterling in March 2020. So we've more than doubled over the course of the last two and a half years or so. And that, I, I, to be honest with you, that's the case, I think, with many consulting firms, because I think the pandemic, I look back, I don't think it was down to any sort of super, superhuman um, effort. I mean, we, we worked incredibly hard and our team were brilliant. But I don't think we were uniquely brilliant during the, the pandemic. I think there wasn't much you could do but work. You know, you couldn't go on holiday in 2020. You couldn't go to the theatre. You couldn't go to the cinema or eat out. All one could do was work. Um, and so if you look at most companies over 2020, 2021, most uh, consulting firms actually did quite well because companies were engaging them to work. There was nothing else one could do. Well, you're, you're quite humble, but I can tell you uh, more than doubling in this amount of time is, is above industry average. So you grew faster than the average consultancy. Well, Sammy, it's good to hear that. It's good to hear that. But certainly most, most, most companies, I, most consulting firms uh, I know have done pretty well over the last couple of years or so. Yeah, but well done. And how much of your revenue is overseas and, and where is it situated? So um, if you have 100% of your revenue would allocate it to US, Australia and wherever else you are um, outside of the UK. Yeah, so of the, so when I was talking through the revenues earlier on, I wasn't um, talking about the Transformation Alliance revenue, which is a which is a separate thing. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So of the Q5 revenue, I would say that... Um, Probably about 70% of it comes out of the UK and Ireland, um, and the rest of it is across the other markets that we serve. Um, and uh, the Middle East is a fast-growing market for us. So we, we started our adventure there in 2018, um, and it's, it's gone very well, actually. Uh, the US we've been in for nine years now. We, we, we launched uh, in New York in 2013. And uh, 
we're, it's a it's a great business. We've just acquired um, a business earlier this year, and we've got a, a fantastic new managing partner in the U.S., um, a lady called Claire Markwart, who is uh, an expert in energy transition. And, so, and she she's from Houston, and her network is in Texas. So we've 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 pivoted in the last couple of years from being a company that largely focused on media. Uh, clients in the US to one that's doing a huge amount of work in energy transition, uh, as well as media work too. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, and yeah, you already talked about it a little bit, but can you sum it up? Who's your ideal customer in sense of industry and persona within those companies that you target? It's a, it's, a, it's a great question, Matt. And I think you'd get different answers from different colleagues of mine at Q5, actually. Um, Of my senior team, we have we're focused on on different industry sectors. So, if you were to speak to our partner who's in charge of uh, infrastructure and resources, um, I think she'd be talking about some of the major energy companies uh, in the world. Um, me personally, I am a uh, media, TV, publishing guy at heart. Um, I feel that Q5 as a whole does really, really well with organizations that have got between 1,000 and 10,000 employees. Um, and you can get great relationships in place with CEOs um, and, and have a material impact on the work that their companies do. Um, now, of course, in some of the energy companies we work at, you have many more than 10,000 employees, and there are some retailers that we work at that have hundreds of thousands of employees. Um, but that we we definitely have a sweet spot, particularly in the media space, with working with companies with a few thousand employees. So that's that's my that's my kind of sweet spot. That said, um, when you look at the FTSE 100, we've probably worked with about two thirds of FTSE 100 companies um, over the last 13 years, and we're currently working with. I think four of the five top FTSE companies. Mm -hmm. Very good, um, and congrats! Huh? It's quite a quite an accomplishment to build your own company um, and and see it grow so so fast and far. It's really nice. You you told us about the Transformation Alliance. Um, what is that? So the Transformation Alliance was set up about 10 years ago by a Frenchman. Uh, and, a, a, and a German guy, and it's a and it's a it's a it's a brilliant thing actually. We're we're we we came late to the party actually. We were approached um, by Mikhail Santo and a chap called Jerome Danon, who sadly is no longer with us, in 2017, uh, to say that they had created this consortium of fiercely independent but proudly independent consulting firms that um, got their energy from working on transformational change programs, hence the moniker of Transformation Alliance. And um, they were looking for a British, largely British consulting business to join the ranks because they'd uh, the, the, the firms in the alliance were H&Z, who were a German company, Kea and Partners, who are a French company, uh, and an Italian company called MBS. And it's been joined recently by a Swedish company called Cordial. Um, and so we, we, we joined the Transformation Alliance in 2017. And the, 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 the thing that really appealed to us about the, the TTA, as it's known, 
was the fact that we went into, you know, we, we still owned our own business and managed our own P&L. We don't own the other companies in the TTA, but we're able to do our training together. We're able to do our inductions together. We're able to do conferences together and to invest in research together. Um, and actually, one of my, one of my own uh, concerns and worries over the years, particularly when I'm sp- speaking to brilliantly young uh, graduates who, who are leaving university to go into the world of consulting, and I'm trying to sell the virtue and benefit of being in a smaller firm versus in one of the, the, the large firms. The, the fun of being in a small business, having a close relationship with the founders or the partners, learning how business gets done and understanding how you know a, a, a company manages its finances and does its marketing. And you know you learn that in a small firm all the time. And you just don't learn that in a big four firm. And I know that I spent eight years in one. That said, the big four firms are able to invest in some really brilliant developments. And so if you're talking to a 23-year-old who's saying, look, I'm mulling over, you know, taking a, a job at Deloitte, for instance, or joining H&Z, um, you know, now I can say hand on heart, the way we roll out our development uh, is up there with the big four. And I, I think up to about five years ago, it probably wasn't. Um, you know, we just didn't have the budgets to do it or the ability to um, to implement the same types of development intervention. So now members of my team in London and Leeds in Cardiff are able to go to Munich for two or three days to, to learn about service design. People from Munich and Hamburg are able to come to London to learn about MetroMap, which is our, our proprietary org design methodology. And similarly, the, the guys in Italy, in Milan, will go to Paris to go and um, do training on, on ESG. And it's, it's just brilliant. So you create a vibrancy amongst your, your team. So not only do my Q5 colleagues have Q5 friends, they have friends in Milan, friends in Munich. And uh, amongst the leadership team, I know you, you interviewed um, one of my, my, my friends and colleagues in the TTA, uh, Stefan, recently. Uh, amongst the, the senior, senior team members, we, we regularly get together sort of three or four times a year and swap anecdotes and stories. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a brilliant thing. We're, we're, we're all very proud to be part of it. So um, you already mentioned now two two benefits from being in this transformation alliance. So one is in terms of talent acquisition that uh, you have the benefits of a small company and the benefits of having the training of a bigger company and a little bit more international flair. Then um, what are the big benefits? And and you on the leadership side, of course, as well have like connections to to other regions and and companies. Uh, the research and development. Yes, that's right. So 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 um, so. Sorry to, to to cut in because you're you're wanting sure. more benefits. I mean, the, the other benefit is 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 being able to work on larger scale programs, larger client projects. Um, the world has become so much more global in the way that it does business over the last twenty years. Notwithstanding Brexit, which has thrown a spanner in the works for British businesses, um, but. You know, the, the, the global business ecosystem um, often requires global coverage. Um, and across Europe, having some European cousins, as it were, business cousins, 
means that there are clients that we work with all the time where we might second. You know, I, I'm, I'm I'm dealing with a a major German media company at the moment, um, and having a German sister firm as as, as part of the the Q5 world is fantastic because it means that we're able to operate in different territories. We don't have a problem with the language barrier. We actually use the same tools, as I was saying earlier on. Over the last five, six years, we've been, you know, we, we, our philosophy within the TTA is to steal with pride. So, you know, our, our, our different tools and IP are shared across the sister firms. So there are major, um, French organizations and German organizations and, um, clients in the Benelux region that we partnered with our, our European cousin firms and, and have been able to win that business. Um, so it's helped in terms of business getting as well as in terms of attracting talent. Very good. And, and on top, you, you said you can also, um, deal with very big projects that you could not handle by yourself. So also in terms of like not having to work with freelancers or, or expanding your team, going into a bigger risk because you're not sure if you can handle a, like you can get one big project, but who knows what's after that one big project. So, um, this is also. Um, working continuously that you can just borrow, so to say, employees from these other consultancies if they can help you? That's true. There's a, there's a kite mark. There's a benchmarking quality that you're absolutely guaranteed and assured with the TTA firms. And you're quite right. If you're doing a project in a different part of Europe, for instance, and you're having to take a bit of a punt, a bit of a bet on an untried, untested associate or contractor, that's fraught with risk. Um, we have some great freelancers at Q5 that we use in the UK that have been known to us for many years and bring brilliant, brilliant capability and skill to the work that we do. But the TTA means when we're working across Europe, we don't have to take too many risks and we can, you know, assure our clients of the utmost quality in the people that are working on those projects. Um, so let me play the devil's advocate here. Um, okay, go for it, Sammy. <laughs> if, if, if you would uh, think about maybe expanding to one of the territories of your Transformation Alliance um, colleagues and say, hey, it's working so well and there are so many big media companies in Germany, why not acquire a company there or build one up and well, just get bigger this way? Um, so this might be a thought. Uh, what is your counter there? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. And actually, uh, H&Z have recently acquired a business in the UK called Procura, who specialize in procurement and supply chain, uh, re-engineering. And, um, but I mean, that, that, that acquisition was done earlier this year in, in to date over the course of the last six months. Uh, H&Z, uh, have been really open with us about the type of work that they're, they're using this new, that uh, they've now rebranding that rebranded that team H and Z, but they're focusing on supply chain um work. Uh and I'm we're very relaxed with that. If they if they were going to go and take on the org health market, then obviously that would create a bit of a chasm. It would be Brexit Mark II, Sammy. But um but I but that isn't that that hasn't been the case in the in the you know I think that the secret of, of, of our success is there is trust amongst um amongst the senior team and the senior players across the TTA. Um 
we have our disagreements from time to time. Um, but 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 I trust I trust the guys. I trust the the, the people in the other the other firms. Um, in the five years we've been involved in in the TTA, I haven't seen an example of another firm, um, you know, going after clients or territories without being quite open about the tactics. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? Like a wave of magic wand to stay that way. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens in the years to come. Yeah, but it worked up to now, so my guess would be it will keep on working. Yeah. So on on a on a managing partner level, um, how often do you meet, and what do you do in those meetings? The Transformation Alliance has its own board, uh, and that meets a couple of times a year, and they then have this this thing called the TTAI, which is this uh, institute that that that's looking at topics research. Um, new ideas and innovation, and that meets more regularly. Um, so it's 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 pretty connected. And the other thing which I think is great is below the managing partner level, um, you've got something called the uh, YTTA, which is the the the, the youth um, and the junior members meet really regularly. Um, I mean, they're forever going on for weekends to Munich and Paris and in Milan. I'm actually quite envious of them. So, you know, so that the, the, so to answer your question, the managing partners get together probably a couple of times a year and we speak frequently. I, I spoke to Stefan twice last week, for instance, on the phone. Perfect. Very good. Um, and if you know it by heart, what percentage of your revenue is is impacted either by you getting some people on board from, from the other companies or by you participating in a project of other companies? I don't know. I wouldn't be able to answer that. Um, uh, anecdotally, there are probably probably six or seven clients that we're actively working in at the moment where we have got members of um, other TTA firms supporting us. Okay. Um, but I, we, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that question. Gut feeling wise, this is like more on the 5% or 30% or 50%. Oh, uh, yeah. More, more around the sort of under 10%, definitely under 10%. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, what advice would you give other consultancy leaders uh, that also want to build an alliance because there are obvious benefits of doing so? Um, I, I think you have to pick wisely. I, I know the TTA before, before Q5 joined it, they had another British partner. Um, in the early years, and it didn't work out, and I, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, so I think you have to do a lot of due diligence on the companies that you're thinking of building a consortium around. Um, you have to have very similar cultural, you know, values. You have to have um, the same sense of. Of, of of exit strategy too. I mean, one of the things that that that, that the TTA firms, um, I've got to tread carefully on this because the Italians have been acquired, but we we the the other firms have all been absolutely obsessed with growing as independent consulting firms and not being acquired. And we're the young Q5 is the youngest of the TTA firms. So if you look at H and Z. Uh, that have been around for 20 years, I think. Uh, and I believe that Kea has been around 25 years. They're still independently 
owned and independently run businesses. And therefore, they have a real clarity about what they stand for. Um, and, um, you know, in, in, in some instances, the founders have moved on and have not cashed in their chips. They've, they've, they've created this, this, this special culture and a, a sense of uh, an independently owned business that can make its own, own decisions and, and have its own autonomy. So, um, so I think if you're setting up a consortium, you have to have a clear understanding. If you if you're getting into a relationship with a firm that in three years' time just wants to be acquired by you know BCG, uh, then you it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So, um, main tip is basically or main advice is um, pick pick the right values, and then according to these values, and one value seems to be it has to be a company that wants to be independent and work independently in the future, uh, then pick the partners accordingly. Yes, yeah. Brilliantly, sum brilliantly summarized, Sammy. <laughs> um, now, um, there's something special in your company that you mentioned in our pre-interview, and that is that you have 50% uh, um, uh, women in your company, which That's is right. yeah. crazy high for consultancies. I mean, it's so hard for me, to be honest, to get any female partner or managing director um, on the interview because there are so few. So how did you achieve um, a 50% women ratio in your company? Um, okay, so if you want to speak to senior women consulting leaders, we have got many here who are far more loquacious and would answer your questions better than me. Uh, Sharon Rice-Oxley being one, Jen Grimalt being another, and many others after that, by the way. Um, the, so when we set the company up originally, I co-founded it with two women. So there, there were five of us, uh, three men and two women. And I think right from the outset, we were trying to create a business that was able to be um, quite heterogeneous in its thinking. Um, and it was important for us to have female leadership right from the outset. And I tell you what, you know, we've been very, very, not, not, I mean, lucky is the wrong word. I mean, obviously, there's always luck when you build a business, but we just recruited very well. And um, uh, we've got brilliant um, women uh, role models in business. We've got um, some fantastic uh, talent, um, people with long careers, people who've been able to um, somehow manage the demands of, uh, of of having you know major clients and being able to be there present for their families, both men and women. In that case, I think it's always been important to have some sort of balance in the work that you do. Um, the other thing is, uh, I I I think um, I think we've we we. I mean, I tr use the word diversity carefully because I don't think we're diverse enough. In, in, my, in my business at Q5, I think we could be a lot more, I think we could have a lot more ethnic diversity, for instance. Um, but it's something we strive for. It's something we really care about. Uh, there are times where I might put up a message on LinkedIn um, or tweet something. And um, fortunately, our values are we have to challenge one another and we may not always agree and that's fine and i you know occasionally i might write something or tweet something that is perhaps not quite what someone who's 23 wants to read um and um and i therefore 
feel. So you talk about how we've got all these, you know, 50% of our, our firm is, is, is made up of women. We, we work hard at trying to bring diversity and trying to create a really positive culture and, um, correct things if we get, um, the messaging wrong, the vernacular, um, in a way that's not quite right for the times. Um, and I think we've done, I would, I, I think we've done a pretty good job over the years. Um, so now the key thing for me is that we continue to build our firm to be as diverse as possible, uh, not just from a gender diversity point of view, but also from, you know, ethnicity and um, sexuality and various, various other things too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what I hear you, the, the, the main magic is get women on the leadership team as well, so that they automatically help you build the company in a way that is also like beneficial for, um, yeah, for people who are also women who want to have a family at some point, but still maybe stick to consulting. That's right. That's right. I mean, in, 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 in England, we have a, we have a phrase which, you know, which you say it's stating the bleeding obvious. You, you are stating the bleeding obvious, but you're right. You're right to. And if you want to have um, a good gender diversity in your business, you need to go, you need to set up a business or hire um, a, a series, you know, a number of um, senior women. I mean, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, and similarly, the same goes for, um, you know, eth ethnic leaders, you know, it's important that we, uh, that companies, if they want to be diverse and have heterogeneous thinking and just come up with better solutions, is to bring more ethnicity into the business. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that's, that's something that we, you know, we're working on and we need to get better at in, in at Q5. You know, we've got, we've got, we've got some ethnicity in the business. And I have to say, you know, our, Our, our colleagues are quite brilliant and have brought some amazing um, thinking and have delivered new tools and all sorts of things. But, um, you know, we're nowhere near where we need to be or where we want to be. Yeah, it's good that you have this ambition of being diverse. I mean, um, it's not easy, but if you, if you want to, um, there's always a way on how to get there over time. And you achieved something that you can pat yourself on the shoulders. I mean, having 50% women in a consultancy I don't think I ever heard that before. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I think at the moment, if I, it's 52%, 48%. Um, so, so, so even more it, women it, it, than it, men. No, no, I think it's just, I think it's just flipped the other way recently. We did, we had 52% women in 2020, I think. So it's, it's always roughly 50-50. Well, that's cool. That's really nice. And you talked about your, your core values. So, um, and, and you have six of those core values. How did you identify or develop them? When we had about 25 people in the firm, we decided that the, you know, what was in our brains, the, the cultural values that we were living and breathing every day needed to be written down in a way. Um, so that, you know, once you have, a hundred people in your business, you need to be much more, um, not prescriptive, but much more um, clear about what you stand for. We actually have a thing called the manual. Uh, it's a bit of a play on, on the Audi Q5. Um, you know, when you buy a car, you'll get a manual that tells you 
about your car, how to drive it, you know, what happens if the battery's flat, how to change a tire, you know, what your, um, you know, what, what the different uh, warning lights mean. And so we, we created this thing called the manual, the Q5 manual a few years ago. And, uh, you know, if you're a complete petrol head, you would read that Audi Q5 manual cover to cover. But if you're not, and you just want to know what happens if you've got a, um, a, a flat tire, you turn to page 78 and it will explain. And that's the same with our manual. So you've got everything in it from our values through to how you get promoted through to why it's important to submit your time report, you know, each month, all those kind of things. And um, our values were put together by the 25 or so people that were in the business back in 2013, 14. We're talking about sort of eight years ago. Um, and we did it in a working session. We did an away day. Um, I think it was in Kingston, in just outside of London. And we talked through the things that really matter to us. Um, and one of one of one of those things is this this ability to challenge one another. And uh, you know, we might not always agree, uh, but we shouldn't shout someone down. You know, it's about, you know, it's it's okay to disagree. You know, you'd have guessed after the Brexit years and the Trump presidency that if you disagree, you just shout and lampoon people and lambast people. But in actual fact, sometimes you may not agree. And it's about finding a you know positive way forward if you've got slightly differing viewpoints. So that's really key for us, being able to challenge one another in a constructive way. Um, we have this sense of never settling. In fact, you can't see it here, but uh, on, on the wall to my right, there's a great big Never Settle logo, which means, you know, we're constantly striving for the best, you know, with our clients and making sure that we're thinking of new things and the latest thinking and not just settling for what is sort of the sort of perceived wisdom. Um, we also, you know, we can't settle here. Uh, you know, it's important there are some people who get stale and need to find their motivation in new ways here. You know, that might be moving to a new office or a new territory or leaving, you know, and going into industry. So that never settled vibe is really important. Um, we have this, this sense of, um, of, of, of being, you know, diverse and, and being, um, I suppose the, the phrase is a broad church. It's probably not the correct phrase to use now, but just welcoming people into the business uh, and bringing your true self to work. So being proud of who you are and what you are and what you stand for. So we don't want people to come in and put on an act. We want people to be authentic. And those are, you know, these are these are key things. And they're all written down in, in our book. So when you join, you get the manual and you get the notebook and it's all there and it's all very clear. But these were put together in the words of our team. And um, they are genuinely lived and breathed every day. How, how could I imagine um, this this book? Is it really like a booklet? Let me show you. I'm going to just have a look in my bag because I often carry a, a very dog-eared version of it around. I, I do. I have both the manual and and a work. So the, this is the workbook that we have, mm -hmm. the Q5 workbook, and it's um, you can see the values are on the on the first page there. Ah, um, perfect. We never settle. You know, we're leaders and self-starters. We listen to, respect and challenge each other's views. We work together to get things done. We're passionate about what our clients do and we immerse ourselves in their business and their cares. 
and we bring our true selves to work. And the actual manual, which is available, is available um, obviously wow. online. But I like yeah. can you can have it in it. This is this is this one. <laughs> that is like well. that looks like a manual for a car, definitely. Yeah, and it's done deliberately to be like a manual. So that's, uh, that picture on the front is of, of our Australia, our Sydney team climbing yeah. a tree for some bizarre reason. Um, <laughs> and you can see, you know, it's it's got about 150 pages, and mm -hmm. our values are right at the very front of that, and explains everything. It explains the story, the provenance of the firm who set it up, why we set it up, what we stand for. Um, and Is it public available? Publicly available, this one? They're not manual? publicly available, no. But they're, um, they're, they're, they're for people who join Q5. If, if we made them publicly available, every other firm would do it. But um, And it's it's part of our competitive advantage, you see. So you we, think? there are companies... I, I would challenge you on that one. Why? Because um, if people decide on which company to join and they could read your manual and say... That's exactly what I would work for. That's mm. that's the values I stand for. That's good. I, I, I accept that challenge, Sammy. Um, but um, I, I hope there's enough on the on the website. We have very good um, shortened packs that we give for recruiting. So someone, if someone's interested in joining Q5 as a principal consultant, um, there's an excellent brochure that's been put together that has quite a lot of that summarized in it that talks about what is required of the role and how they would be doing business development and how they'd be recognized and rewarded for their work. So there, there are bits of it that are available in different formats. Um, I mean, I have given, I mean, there are there are clients that have asked for it because they've seen me with my dog-eared copy. There is a, there's a senior client of mine in New York, who said I'd love a copy of that, so I gave him a copy of it so that he understood, um, you know, how how we used it and how we set the company up. The other thing that we do um, right at the outset is we've created a psychometric um, system to bring people into Q5. The, the the system has been built around those values, those six values. So um, when someone applies to Q5. They, they go through an interview process, but they have to go through this gamification, sort of gamified um, process that, that, that is an app that they download onto their phone. And through that, it takes about an hour to go through the process, but they're being tested on each of those values. And uh, we then have created personas, Q5 personas, based on really successful members of our team over the last few years. Um, and we we will see if someone fits, you know, if they fit in the, the green of one of those personas or if they're in the orange or the reds. So that's used for every single person that, if, that, that gets through the first round of the recruitment process. That's super interesting what you did here. So on the one hand, of course, being uh, like creating a game so that it's um, also, I hope it's fun to play the game. <laughs> To, uh, well, I mean, I've, I've done it myself. Um, I didn't find it hugely fun, I have to confess. Um, okay. But, um, but, but I, I, uh, we, we've changed it a little bit. I mean, I've gone through it. I, we, we, we go through everything. We, we subject, the, the partners and founders subject ourselves to everything so that we, we viscerally experience it. Um, I think it is quite fun. Um, I think it's slightly different if you're doing that. You know, I'm in my 50s. I think it's slightly different doing a gamified um you know iphone app 
built around our behaviors and our values versus if you're 26, 27. Um, we've adapted it for executive level people because I didn't find the experience to be, um, I thought it was excellent tech. And I think it's a very good process, but I found it personally. And we've, so we've changed it. We've changed it. But um, yeah, so I'm answering you on. I'm answering you honestly, Sammy. I think it's a brilliant process. We've changed it for exec level people. Okay, very good. And how did you develop this game? Who helped you or did you do everything yourself? Yeah, so no, we, we used a we used a company called Arctic Shores. Um, and they're they're really good, a really good company, um, British company of um psychologists. And together we created what we felt was the right um the right perform and the right assessment vehicle for, for Q5 people. And um you did something Like it sounds so simple, but I think many companies don't do it. Uh, you you looked at your most successful employees that you also think are representing the the core principles on how you want to work, the values basically, and then you replicated uh, the the psychological profiles. I mean, you probably have to be careful not to be in just one dimensional and create like several personas that because everyone is a little bit different. But that's, that's right. That, that's basically something that I've only. I only can remember it once when I when I asked or interviewed a um, American consultancy that's doing it for their customers. So they're they're helping companies improve their sales and transform the sales organization. And they look for the best salespeople, look for the traits of those salespeople, and then try to exactly create a formula on how to find and hire those exact same people. I never heard it um, for a company doing it for like a consultancy doing it for themselves. So that's That's uh, a good good way to. It's good. It's, it's good, and it's and it's something that our recruiting team uh, were very passionate about a few years ago. I think it was around 2019 that they turned their attentions to putting a bit more science around the way we were bringing people into our business, and that's the the point where we built the um, the Arctic Shores profiling system that we that we've been using ever since. And I think it, that maybe we were talking uh, about 20 minutes ago about the success of the business over the last two to three years and the growth of the business. I've, it's not down to one single thing, but certainly there, there was a fine tuning of what we did in 2019, just just before COVID, um, that has, has borne us fruit over the last two to three years. So we we did a whole load of things in 2019. We, we moved... Um, Uh, on to Microsoft 365, for instance, in 2019. So, so when COVID happened, we had fortune. We we're very fortuitous. Perhaps we were clairvoyant, even that you know we were able to work remotely instantly because we had all the right tech at our disposals. But we were probably only you know it was down to the spade work we did in 2019. Yeah, and. I mean, you, you you also said something that that is so simple, but it's really hard when you're in your own business to do it, which is um, double down on things that work. So identify the things that work and double down on them and, and cut out all the other things that you might like for whatever reason, but they're obviously not working as good as something else. Um, that's a little bit meta. Um, I mean, in the end, you did it for recruiting, but you also did it for uh, focusing on on your core industry or on your core um, offering that you basically have. Um, and and that's that's something that will help you grow. I'm pretty sure that you will keep on growing. Well, certainly, uh, certainly, things like the, the the people that bring the 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 
the Q5 is into the business are, are we've got three recruiters um, and um, two of them not only bring people into the company, but they're the ones that do the exit interviews when people leave. So um, because we want to know, we want the consistency in the messaging and we want to make sure the promise that we're giving to people um, matches up with you know, the feedback we get if someone leaves the firm or when someone leaves the firm. And, um, you know, it's a good way of doing it. It's a good way of making sure that the, the, the narrative is understood and that it's, it's, it's properly balanced. So, um, yeah, a lot, a huge amount of thought goes into it. Um, and these are my colleagues I'm talking about rather than it's not me coming up with these clever ideas. These people in our business that are constantly trying to, to improve things and, and make our, our processes flow well. Yeah, but it also represents um, the way you want the, the company to work. Because I can remember uh, consulting companies that uh, do not graciously let someone go. I mean, they sometimes make it really hard for people who, who are leaving. Um, even though it's not a decision against the consultancy, it's a decision for something else, for whatever personal reason. I remember that a manager had to come in on a Saturday and give back the car because well, that was the last day of the month and it couldn't be done before and after because they just wanted to like give a last push and then say, hey, <laughs> we want to make your life as hard as possible. And you do it differently. Um, you you uh, seem to really care about why people leave and um, and let them go. We do. And I, I would say nine, nine times out of 10, um, I think people leave the firm well. And I think I'd like to think we deal with it in a good way. I don't think it's easy. I, I think when you're in a smaller consulting firm and, you know, I include all the TTA firms, the H&Zs and, and Kaya and, and MBS in this too. I think if you're in a smaller firm with a few hundred people, um, it, it is harder to leave a business with a few hundred people than it is to leave Accenture or Deloitte um, because you are, you know, in those instances, you're leaving a firm that's been set up by the founders that are in it. I don't think, you know, I'd like to think that it's not too difficult for people to leave Q5. There are people, you know, the, the, the hardest thing I think with consulting firms, and I think this is the, is, is, is the, 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 the poaching that goes on sometimes, um, when clients, like you know, we want everyone in our firm, and this is the same in any consulting firm, to be coveted. You know, we want to hire the brightest, most decent people that we can attract into our business. That you know, in most instances, would be able to sit in any company, um, and therefore they're coveted. And sometimes clients will try and tap up your team, and I think sometimes the, the times where it's been difficult for us over the last 14 years as if, you know, if there's been an element of that involved in it. But but normally if someone leaves the firm, I want to make sure that they've given it proper thought um, that they, and, you know, for me, I, I, I have this thing called a graphic equalizer, like a mixing desk that you get in a studio, you know, music studio. I love music. I, I play the piano and, you know, it's my great love outside of, my my job other than my wife and my daughter just to make sure <laughs> yeah but um but, but you know on, on the mixing desk you have seven or eight um vertical volume levers and one of them is is the work that you do on a day-to-day -day basis you know is it high or low are you motivated do you like it or not 
And, you know, after you do what we do for a living after five or six years, it's possible you're a bit bored of it and want to go and try something else out. Another lever is money. You know, do you have a high need for it? And as you, you know, if you get married and have children, sometimes your earning potential, your need, your, your motivational need for money might not be necessarily delivered by the company you work for. And then you talk about the people you're working with. You know, do you like the people you're working with or not? Um, another one is autonomy. Certainly, I'm going going back um, to my 30s, you know, my 20s, I was perfectly happy for people to show me the way and explain how things were done. By the time I was 9, 10 years into my career, I couldn't stand being micromanaged. I absolutely hated it. Um, and so, you know, your need for autonomy increases. Um, location, you know, over the years, most consultants have had to do stints away from where they live, um, sometimes for years. And that, that, that changes. So I, I always talk to people saying, look, where are you on the graphic equalizer? Where's your volume control? Because the volume controls I had when I was 22 were different to how they were when I was 32. And a different, you know, I'm 50 now, different to how I am now with, with grown up children. So I, I, that's what I care about. When someone leaves Q5 or is thinking about leaving Q5 or moving into something else, I want to make sure that the gaps that might be appearing on the graphic equalizer, you know, what you want is not being delivered by the firm. I want to see whether we can close those gaps or whether we shake hands and say, look, there's nothing we can do on that one. You know, unfortunately, that is where it is at the moment. and We're slightly misaligned. And, you know, so therefore, it's an open conversation. And, hope, and, 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 and one also hopes an uplifting one, too, that you, you, you look at each other in the eyes and you think, yeah, I think it's time for me to go and do this other thing. Most people who leave Q5 over the years um, have gone into industry. They've, they've decided that they've, they've scratched that consulting itch and they've wanted to go and get a job in, you know, in a, in a proper company as opposed to a consulting company. Um, occasionally people will move into other consulting firms, but it's usually because they want to focus on M&A or they want to do more analytical work. Um, but, 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 you know, on, on the whole, I think people are able to leave Q5 in, in a way in which, you know, the reasons are understood and have been properly, you know, scrutinized. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a nice way of objectifying the reasons um, why someone could or should stay or could or should leave. And sometimes if people have the wrong assumptions, you can still say, no, no, there, there are these options in here. Maybe you didn't see them and maybe there's a way for you to stay. Um, that is a good way to, to go, get it, go into a conversation uh, and, and um, have it more rational than emotional. So um, I have one question there um, about the, the career path paths that, that, that are available in your company, because usually in consulting, like the old school consulting ways, you start as a junior, become some, at some point a manager, at some point you have to start selling. And that's the biggest um, point of, or friction, I see at least, because not everybody wants to sell or is good at selling, or some people just want to be focused on executing projects or doing something differently. So how how do you take care of that in your company? So it's a, it's a good question, and it's something that has taken us some years to work out. And again, in 2019, we created this thing in, in the manual that's called the tree. 
Um, and it talks about joining the firm, you know, and you're part of the, the roots of the firm to begin with when you're a research analyst and you then become a consultant and a senior consultant. And we, we, we then become principal consultants in our firm. We don't have the, the, the manager nomenclature of Q5. But do you remember right at the beginning of this conversation when I talked about um, influence, reach and contribution? Um, and we figured, if I was going to be very crude about it, there are three types of senior person that you need in this firm. And sometimes, you know, there are some people who can do a bit of everything. They're great at business development. They're great at doing the client side advisory work. And they are deep experts in agile or in, you know, some other discipline. But in most instances, that's not the case. If you, you know, you might become a brilliant Let's call them a business development rainmaker. Um, we have a few in our firm who, um, and some people who, who didn't consult in their early years, they joined us from industry, and they've got encyclopedic knowledge of their industry sector, and they've got huge networks, you know, a little black book of everyone you can possibly need to know in that sector. Um, they are what I would say are reach you know they're the ones that give us reach and extend reach into the marketplace and they're the ones that are creating the hooks and um so they're basically helping you sell helping us sell and we call them in our own firm the the people who give us reach the senior people i you know the, the my my peers that do that we call thinker linkers so they're out linking and they're thinking and they're linking and they may meet you sammy and in minute 17 of your coffee, they hear something in what you're saying and they realize that Q5 can't give you what you want. But they're able to connect you, link you to someone else. And there's no, there's no money changing hands, but these thinker linkers are the ones that are spotting the hooks and doing things with the hooks. We then have amazing, let's call them solution architects, people who for years done amazing work with clients uh, almost like the sort of the, the client whisperers are able to fix the challenges that senior clients have and that we call those the, the client partners and those members of our team those senior members of the team are able to you know roll their sleeves up and get much more involved in managing these long-term client assignments and they give us contribution because those client side senior leaders are the ones overseeing the the financial contribution of the business you know it's not easy to oversee you know a 10-month project across multi-territories in fact it's sometimes easier just to be the thinker linker that's going around and having coffee with four people a day so so that you know we do not suggest that the thinker linkers are more senior than the client partners we have them equally important uh, and then the third type of leader, um, who in our own business, we call those the directors, they're the SMEs. So they're the ones that are focusing on influence. So to be brilliant at organizational health, we need to have people who are deep experts in knowing agile ways of working, for instance, or being deeply expert, almost academically so, in organization design. Um, and those people in our business, they're not... Um, given the sense that they have to magically, you know, 
develop four or five projects every month, uh, nor do they have to sit in a client for 10 months. They are used as subject matter experts that might work across portfolio clients. So as you climb the tree, when you're a principal, when you're a PC in our business, principal consultant, our mentors, and everyone's given a mentor, has those really open conversations with people. Say, look, you know, on the tree, which branch do you in your heart want to climb up? And, you know, maybe the branch they want to climb up is not necessarily the one that they're naturally most gifted and talented at. So that you have those conversations with people so that they constantly understand, you know, how they climb the tree and what their, you know, what their, what their next little twig is. I like it a lot. So you have um, basically three three dimensions that you can choose from. The one is the the one the subject matter expert, so to say, who's designing maybe uh, new solutions coming in and help. The one who's implementing these long projects, and the the, the last one who's basically selling solutions. Thinkalinka, who's out there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thinkalinka um, so can't work on their own. So the Thinkalinka is constantly working with the client partners. They cannot do their work without one another. Um, the thinker linker is the person who can look at the mirror every morning and say, right, I'm getting out there. I don't mind pinging people on WhatsApp. I don't mind emailing them. I don't mind um, going to a football match on, you know, Wednesday night. I, I you know, I, I know my wife wants me to be home, but I will go out to that because my client is prepared to give me two hours of their time. They're the ones that are constantly out there looking at the next thing. But they cannot do that work without having brilliant SMEs, brilliant directors providing the influence, i.e. the magic, you know, the, the, the secret source to what we do, or having the client partners that are able to go into battle every day and sit at a client site and oversee these, you know, really important projects. So, so you know, that that is the, this, it, it's quite a crude mechanism that we use, but it, again, it It's one of the things we did in 2019 that has really helped us create these career paths. No, I think it's brilliant because in many consultancies um, that I, or with many com company leaders of consultancies that I talk to, they still have this old school way of designing a career path, which is up or out. And if you go up and become a partner, you have to sell. If you don't sell, well, probably you're out very fast and um, and you you found a you found a way of designing different career paths that work for different types of people and you need all of those i'm absolutely with you uh, one one standalone would not work or even two standalone would not work but now comes the interesting part how do you compensate compensate each of these uh different kinds of personas that you need. So the ones who are subject matter experts, the ones who are implementing a solution on long projects and the ones who are selling the solution, because usually the sellers are the rainmakers and they get most of the money in most companies. Yeah, well, that's that's not the case here, actually. So um, so we, I mean, it's not to suggest that the, the, the guys going out and winning the new opportunities aren't well compensated. But um, we, 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 the one thing that we didn't do um, when we set the company up right from the outset, is we didn't create an Excel spreadsheet um, to work out how we would reward based on some sort of quota. So we never set sales targets at an individual level. Um, we still don't have those now. So if you're if you're one of the linkers, we don't go out and say, right, so we're expecting to bring you know eight million euros worth of business in this year. That's your target, go and deliver. 
um, we set a company-wide target and the, the, the linkers work in a very collaborative way with, with the client partners so that we run this thing. I mean, it's almost impossible for, for me to explain it. It's called rough justice. It sounds really uh, morbid and horrible, but we, we have something that is very qualitative and the senior uh, people in our business get together each year, sometimes twice a year, and we talk about how the firm has done and we talk a little bit about the provenance of how work is done and, you know, who was the introducer, but who's done the lion's share of the work. And it's done in a very qualitative way. And at the end of each year, we usually have a system where there aren't arguments. Um, you know, we, we amongst the very senior people in the firm, um, you want some degree of, you know, who has been the most successful this year versus who's the person that's been the least successful. Not to get rid of the least successful and not to sort of lionize the most successful, but it's a natural human thing, I think, to want to know if you've had a particularly good year. People can look at you and say, you were awesome. Everything you've done this year has been absolutely awesome. But that person doesn't necessarily need to earn two-thirds of the money and the person that's had a difficult year needs to be shown the door. So we've worked in this very collaborative, very qualitative way. The question I can't answer, Sammy, is how does that change as the business scales? Because that worked brilliantly right up to probably 20, 25 million revenue. We're now, you know, we're now not a small business anymore. And uh, I still know everyone in the company. I make it my mission to meet people when they join. Um, I make a point of getting in touch with everyone over the course of the year. I really care about everyone in the business. I think if you don't care about people in the business, there's no point in doing this job. You know, I really, really do care about the team. Um, and therefore, you know, there will come a, a, a tipping point in perhaps in the next year even where you don't know everyone. I don't know. You know, we've got 263 people, I think, in total. Um, I don't know when it becomes impossible. At the moment, I do know everyone, but I don't know. And it's at that point when you get to the point where there are tens, if not hundreds of people that you don't know and you can't sit in a room and say, actually, genuinely, it was, it was Boris. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't Dave. It was Boris. It was brilliant in that. I don't know. So I, I can't answer that question. It may be that we'll have to put a bit like we've done with recruiting using the the um, the personas. There may come a point in the next few years where we'll have to create a, a bit more method and a bit more quant to the way that we reward people. But um, up to date, it's been done on a qualitative basis. And it's okay. been about how you collaborate and win together. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So we have to talk again in one, two years and see how you developed. Yeah. Really. Okay, um, Sammy. <laughs> we are already at the end of our conversation now, and I have five rapid fire questions lined up for you. Are you ready? I don't know what they are. So I don't, yes, give it a go. Let's see. Let's see. Um, what do you do to keep body and mind fit and sharp? I play the piano every day, I do yoga on a Monday. And I, I don't talk about this very openly. I go to church every Sunday, every Sunday mm -hmm. evening. And so I feel that I have a sort of spiritual, mindful, uh, I cycle to work as well. So I, I keep myself uh, active and I keep myself on it. Okay, very good. 
Do you have a favorite business book? Um, I don't have a favorite business book. No, um, I, I'm not a voracious reader of business books. I, uh, I, I'm given them all the time and I don't have a huge amount of time to read. Um, so no is the answer, I'm afraid. No, that's fine. Um, do you listen to podcasts then? I listen to um, the occasional podcast. I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds so if you're wanting me to give you the best business book I've ever read and the best podcast other than yours, Sammy, which is brilliant. <laughs> um, uh, there is another podcast that is focused on consulting called Climbing Consulting that's done by a friend of mine called Nick Sinnott, which is very good. And it's, it's, it's more aimed at people, I think, coming out of university into the world of consulting rather than senior partner level. And that's a good podcast. And I listened to that. He's, he must have done a hundred or so podcasts now. They're, they're, they're good little programs. Um, but business book, no, I, there's not, there's, you know, there, there, there is, no, I, I, I can't. But we're going to link the, the, the podcast that you mentioned in the show notes. So if anyone is interested, they can uh, look it up and also have a listen there. It's called Climbing yeah. Consulting. Mm -hmm. We'll find it. We'll find it. Um, who should be our next podcast guest for the Leaders in Consulting show and why? Uh, so if it's not um, Sharon Rice-Oxley or Jen Grimalt, the two uh, women partners from Q5 I mentioned earlier on, which you should in time definitely speak to them because they're they're brilliant. Um, uh, I would go for another one of the TTA partners. I would go for Cordial in Sweden. I mean, obviously, Care are great and MBS are great too. But um, I would go uh, and speak to one of the team at, um, at Cordial. Okay. And who, who should we ask? Uh, Lisa. So Lisa is the uh, managing partner of um, Cordial. I'll send... I'll send her email to you after this. Awesome. That would really, be amazing. She's really good. Cool. And um, Oli, now you can address our audience. Is there anything we can help you with? So for your audience, mm -hmm. I would say, yes, there are. Uh, I'd be interested in what are the top five things, conundrums, headaches, challenges that your listeners feel are going to have the biggest impact on um on business over the course of the next two years i'd love to know their responses on that because mm -hmm. it helps me think about the uh interventions and the solutions that we should be um working on at q5 mm -hmm. very good and i can also ask these questions um and and just sum it up in in one podcast maybe and then you can Excellent. listen to it Brilliant. So it was a true pleasure to have you on our show, um, Oli. Um, lots of learnings, a fast-growing company from the UK that does a lot of things right. So uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Sammy. It's been a pleasure talking to you and good luck. If you liked the show, please leave us a rating and subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new episode. Do you want to win big whale clients, find new employees and become a renowned thought leader in your field? So who can help? Simply schedule a strategy call with our host, Sammy Gebele. Get in touch on LinkedIn or via sawoo.io, S-A-W-O-O.io. You can also find all contact details in our show notes. Thanks and see you next time.